In the Huddle with Coach Call's Time Out, the podcast that dissects the mind of a different basketball coach every episode. We uncover what makes them successful and how their story translates to your coaching journey. Let's unlock your team's potential together. Welcome to episode 10 of the Coach Call's Time Out podcast. Dan Jonker here. Myself and my two brothers, Brian and Brady, started Coach Call's Time Out to help basketball coaches gain experience and knowledge without even being in the gym. We have tons of plays and drills in video format that you can download and play directly on your laptop, phone, or tablet. We have a bunch of free stuff and a membership program which is currently only $24 for an entire year. And as a member of Coach Calls Timeout, you'll receive access to everything we have to offer. Just go to coachcallstimeout.com, surf around, and check it out. We also have a special offer for you. As a listener of the podcast, you can now receive a free 7-day trial to sample our membership program. To take advantage of the free trial, just go to coachcallstimeout.com, click Join Now, and use the coupon code PODCAST. I'll provide a link in the show notes at coachcallstimeout.com slash 10. That's the number 10. Today's episode is the third installment of our 7-part series called The Basketball Coaching Roadmap where we explore the seven areas where all successful coaches shine. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, I encourage you to go back and check them out. Even coaches need to train, and now that we're officially into the basketball off-season, you can treat this seven-part series like your own personal off-season coaching course. Our goal is to add a little more to your coaching portfolio with each episode, and by next season you'll be ready to shine. In this episode, I have a phone conversation with my brother Brian, who's the head coach at Mohawk College. We talked about adaptability and the importance and benefits of being open-minded and willing to step out of your comfort zone as a coach. There's some good tips that will help your team and yourself reach extraordinary levels. Enough from me, let's get right to it. Okay, so today we're going to talk about adaptability, and I'd like to first talk maybe high-level, Bri, with you about your season and how you plan that and how you adapt for changes that happen within a season, and maybe talk about your style of play as well. When you're planning your season, do you cater your style that you want to play that year to the players you have, or do you have a set style that you're comfortable with and teach that? I think every coach has a preferred style that they like to play and they have definitely things that they like teaching are comfortable in teaching and, and want to teach. But I think ultimately if, if you want to be as successful as you potentially can, then you need to adapt to the personnel that you have. Um, we had, for example, um, the year we won the national championship, we had a, a fifth and a fourth year backcourt. Uh, we had uh, younger but very big um, front court players, and uh, we we played you know a lot of zone consequently, mostly zone consequently with our bigs in the back, but they were fairly mobile, so we still ran and and we pressured on occasion. We took that two years later and did some similar stuff with a similar styled team to get back to nationals again. Um, but last year uh, we you know all those guys had moved on. And we had probably one of our most athletic teams we've ever had. We were a little bit smaller and we changed 
completely what we did, and we went to more of a uh, dribble drive offense, and we attacked a lot off the dribble. We pressured a, a fair bit more in different varieties. We also, uh, you know, played more man, half court man to man than we had been playing in the past. So we changed to the the personnel that we had, and I think if if you're a good coach and want to be successful, I think that's necessary. I think you need to put your players in positions to succeed as well and make them comfortable and allow them to do what they're good at. And you're going to have a lot more success as a team. If you want to be a run and gun team and you have two dominant post players, those kids aren't going to have fun outletting and rebounding all game long and all season long. And consequently, it's going to drag on the team as well. Yeah, I, I agree. You need to address the strengths of, of kids and try and put them into those positions to succeed, as you suggest. And ultimately, that's what's going to make your uh, your team more successful. So one of the important things that you need to be adaptable is just to have an open mind. You need to have a willingness to get out of your comfort zone. If you only have a set way of playing and you don't plan on changing or revising or adapting, you can be a good coach. But the thing is, your ceiling is going to be fixed. There's no room for growth, and people will figure you out eventually and plan accordingly. If you're adaptable, your ceiling is constantly rising. You have new input. Sometimes you're going to find things that are so great that they just blow away your expectations. Is there any coaches that come to mind that are good at adapting? Um, yeah, first of all, just quickly, we, we've talked on a couple different occasions uh, recently about this type of thing, and I really like your analogy about the ceiling being much higher for people who are adaptable. Uh, I, I can't agree more. I mean, like you said, if, if you're changing and adapting, you can always continue to improve if you're stuck in a certain way or fixed in a certain way and how you want to do things. Um, with certain groups, you, your ceiling, like you said, might be lower. I really like that analogy. Um, but more to directly to your point, yeah, like, I mean, I I look at, you know, someone in football, for example, like Bill Belichick, who on a yearly basis doesn't seem to provide outside of when they had Randy Moss for a couple of years there, doesn't seem to provide the tools necessary to to be successful from, you know, a skill position uh, standpoint for Tom Brady to work with. But somehow he adapts and he changes the, the offense and the style that um, they play to the to the personnel that he has, and obviously they've been extremely successful. So, um, you know, when his best skill position people right now are tight ends, he utilizes the tight ends, and he's got smaller scat-type receivers, and he throws a lot underneath stuff. Uh, in the years with Randy Moss, he opened it up and, and threw it deep a lot. So they've, uh, you know, that's a coach that I think of the, that is willing to adapt and does adapt on a yearly basis um, based on the personnel that he has. Let's get into adaptability within a game there's lots of things for coaches to think about while a game is going on and there's a lot of things that can happen in a game that require you to change your your plan from injuries and foul trouble poor performances how do you keep it all straight while you're coaching uh i i think ultimately um your biggest asset as a coach during the course of a game is a clear head um, or the ability to remove emotion from what you're doing, there's hundreds of decisions to be made in the game. And if the emotion of the coach is getting the best of them, um, you might not always be thinking clear enough to make 
quick decisions or the right decisions um, as often as, as you should or might want to. Um, I think you've got to be able to somehow, you know, check your emotions and, and be clear-headed throughout the course of a game. Um, as you said, there's there's different things that happen. You know, you you you, get, you don't always get the whistle blown the way that you want to. Uh, you you are going to have foul trouble. You are going to have injuries. Those types of things are uh, are things that you, if you're not thinking clearly and if you're too emotionally uh, involved, then then it makes it difficult for you to be successful as a coach. I think. What about substitution patterns? I've played on teams where. If you're a starter, you know someone is coming in for you at the seven-minute mark. Do you have any set patterns that you abide by? Um, well, I think I, I certainly have. You know, at some point early, early to mid-season, you have established maybe who your, you know, sixth, seventh man type thing are, and and who your starters are. And I try to get those sixth and seventh men in the game uh, early. Um, to get their feet wet and, and, and get things going. But I don't necessarily have them take the same people out all the time. Um, if somebody starts out and they start making some shots and they've got a lot of energy and they're providing, um, something that's very effective for us, then I, uh, you know, I'll tend to let them run with it. And, and those first subs coming in, maybe I'll take two different people out. You know, if you've got an eighth and a ninth man that you want to trust and get them in there, I'll try and fit them in there as well in the first quarter. But after that, it's kind of um, more by feel and by performance. So if if somebody's out there, like I said, doing a good job, um, I think you want to reward that person so that they realize, hey, if I if I do a good job, I'm not necessarily going to be the first one out of the game. Or, hey, if, if I'm a person coming off the bench and go in and do a good job, I'm going to be rewarded and end up playing more than I normally would. I think that's really important. I think it's uh, it's discouraging for someone if if they go in and do a good job and then all of a sudden, oh, the eight-minute mark came. This is usually when I come out. And lo and behold, there they are out and sitting on the bench, and they're sitting over there going, well, it doesn't really matter how good I play. I'm still coming out whenever. Um, I, I think that can be rather discouraging. I think that people need to be rewarded for for doing a good job, and uh, I think it keeps the competition level amongst the group higher that way, and uh, I think the the carrot, so to speak, you know, allows for for guys to realize that there's something out there if they do what they're being asked and do a good job that they can be rewarded. What about style of play within a game? Let's say you're a team that plays three guards and two post players, and your opponent for this for a particular game is four guards and a one post player. Do you adjust to what the other team has, or do you stick with what you have and let it play out? During the course of the game, uh, it will very much be dependent on on how that game's going. But as far as going into the game, um, we would prepare to be the best that we can at what we do, and I wouldn't necessarily go changing a starting lineup, for example, because you know they're bigger than we are, and we need to put some more bigs in there. I would. I tend to think that if you're at a disadvantage at one end of the floor because of a lineup like that, that you probably are at an advantage on the other end of the floor for the same reasons. So um, I would find a way to try and take advantage of um, our uh, advantage that we have in whatever fashion it may be versus uh, adapting and maybe playing in a different fashion that we're not comfortable with just so we can match up a little bit better. 
now throughout the game. Uh, again, if we're finding, you know, they've got a big lineup and we're getting killed that way and we're not being successful on the other end either, then sure, maybe you make subs and you try and adjust and adapt to what's going on and see if those changes make a difference. But ultimately, you're hoping to force the other team to to adapt to what you do. Um, and that, that would be the ideal. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with adaptability is that it brings a lot of unpredictability. You, the other team doesn't know what is coming next. They can't plan for just one set offense that you have or five players that you always play. You always want to force the other team to change rather than you being the ones who are, are being forced to change. Um, it's also a huge competitive advantage for your team to be able to adapt to different situations. Are there any times, this will be the last question that we, we go through for this episode. Are there any times that you adapted or forced the change onto another team where it benefited you? Yeah, I can think of a couple situations um, in particular. Um, I'll, I'll run through a couple stories for you real quick. But a couple years back in the conference semifinal, we played a team who had the conference player of the year. And we hadn't played any kind of junk defense, if you will, um, in this case of box and one, um, the entire season. So there was no film on us or nothing to prepare for, nor would they have thought that we would necessarily do anything different than we'd been doing. But in the shoot-around in that morning, we practiced a little bit with it and thought, you know, let's come out in the box and one just to see how they react. And sure, if they come out scoring and it's not something that we've done a lot of or practiced a lot of, then we'll get out of it and go back to what we normally do. But let's at least give them something else to think about. And if by chance it it works a little bit, then maybe we get an advantage early in the game and and you get a bit of a lead. As it turns out, they didn't really have an, an answer, a plan of attack, or didn't really adapt to what we were doing very well. And consequently, we ended up staying in that box and won the entire game. And I believe we held them to four points. And uh, we were up 35 at one point in that game. I think we won by 12 or 14 or something like that. But it was 35 points in the third quarter. Their best player just was taken right out of the game by what we were doing. So that's one example. The other one I can think of uh, in the national championship game, uh, or when we won the national championship, we we had about an eight or nine point lead uh, at a crucial point in the third quarter. They called timeouts. We came out of the timeout in a 1-3-1 press, and it was the first time all game we had shown it to them. They didn't react well, turned the ball over twice quickly. We scored two quick layups, and all of a sudden the lead was at 14 or 13 or 14. I mean, that was more or less the nail in the coffin. The momentum was clearly on our side at that point, and they just couldn't recover. So those are two situations where we changed what we did forced the other people to try and adapt and they couldn't and uh, in both cases they had very um, very positive effects for our group there you have it hopefully after listening to this you'll keep an open mind make sure things remain fresh and always look to force your opponents to change and play outside of their comfort zone This episode was brought to you by Audible, the worldwide leader in audiobooks. As a listener to our podcast, you can go to audibletrial.com slash coach to receive a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial with Audible. Choose from a wide variety of books to listen to on the go or while you're relaxing. 
You can show your support for our podcast by going to audibletrial.com slash coach to start your free trial now. I'll put a link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. Reviews really do help us. To leave an iTunes review, you can go to coachcallstimeout.com slash 10 and click leave an iTunes rating and review. Our next episode is part four of the Basketball Coaching Roadmap. We're going to talk about the importance of consistency and why the messages you deliver as a coach need to remain consistent. Thanks, and we'll talk to you again in two weeks.